Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, September 16th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 12 to 27. The Lord gives Ezekiel the task of being a watchman, one who will sound the warning to the people in exile so that they would turn from their wickedness. Help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today. We have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, let's talk about Ezekiel. We're in the second part of chapter 3 this morning. We're still really in Ezekiel's call section, his call documents. The Lord's going to elaborate a little bit more on what we heard yesterday. In terms of Ezekiel, his ministry, what we've heard so far in this book, what should we know, what should we remember going into our text for today? Yeah, so Ezekiel is kind of a, of a strange prophet. Uh, lots and lots of interesting imagery and uh, examples by how he is called to live his life. And his job is is mainly been a prophet to the people who are in exile. We find out today uh, in this particular section that Ezekiel is called into God's service to speak God's word to his people, and he is uh, in a place called Tel Abib, uh, the exiles are near this Cheber or Kaber canal. Uh, this is uh, most likely in a place in modern-day Iraq now called Nippur. Um, so Ezekiel, as opposed to Jeremiah, is doing his ministry to exiles as opposed to people who are about to be sent into exile. So his job is going to be uh, preaching to these people who are are still in their sin, who are mourning, and trying to get them back on the path towards uh, the Lord their God. Right. I mean, last in the last text we heard over and over again, you know, the Lord tell Ezekiel, "I'm sending you to a rebellious house, uh, rebels." The and it's not just the people at the time; their fathers were rebels. It's it's a bunch of rebels to whom he's sending people that aren't going to listen. The Lord has said. And yet the Lord promises Ezekiel, I'm going to make your face harder than theirs. You're going to have this strength to preach. So he's received that call. And and what we're going to see in today's text is a bit of a response from Ezekiel, almost a a little bit of an interlude in terms of a a narrative. The account moves forward. And then more words from the Lord reiterating and elaborating on the call of Ezekiel. And then a little bit toward the end of our text of some of the actual preaching or we'll say action prophecies 
of Ezekiel. So we get a little bit of a, a taste of everything today, Pastor Ulmer, of this of this strange prophet Ezekiel. I think perhaps one day in eternity we may have to apologize to Ezekiel for calling him strange. <laughs> I'm sure he was. I, I would I would say it's strange in the best possible. That's way. right. That's right. It it is it is <laughs> unusual. The the action prophecies of Ezekiel do stand out as a very. I mean, they're meant to get your attention, and so perhaps strange is the right word, so that that we they get our attention, so that we will listen to the word that Ezekiel has to preach. So we're in Amen. Ezekiel Amen. three. We're beginning at verse 12. I'll read just a few verses to, to find a little bit of the response that Ezekiel has, having heard the word of the Lord in the previous text. Then the spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake. The spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib, who were dwelling by the Kabar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. All right, we'll pause there. That takes us through verse 15 of chapter 3. So not much text, but there's a lot of things happening here. Pastor Ulmer, the first part, we get some language that reminds us of the vision that Ezekiel had in chapter 1. The Spirit, again, is active, lifting Ezekiel up. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 2. The Spirit stood Ezekiel on his feet. Now the Spirit lifts Ezekiel up, and Ezekiel hears this voice. And it emphasizes, again, the glory of the Lord. This is an important theme already in Ezekiel and will continue to be. What's happening here with the glory of the Lord in verse 12? Yeah, so with uh, the prophets, you you kind of get this theme in various places where whenever God appears to the prophets in, in visions or theophanies, uh, you get this concept of the glory of the Lord. Uh, in Hebrew, this would be like the kavod. And this is like the, the presence, uh, the weightiness, the majesty, the awe of God. It kind of made made flesh, made tangible here. And, and right here, uh, somebody is declaring that this glory exists. I mean, God is here, uh, the Spirit's here. Uh, allowing Ezekiel to see this and calling Ezekiel into the ministry uh, that he is uh, being called into. I think most um, most notably where this glory shows up is in the call of Isaiah in Isaiah 6, because this is uh, the scene where Isaiah is kind of taken into a vision where he's taken to the temple and he sees the Lord God there, and you have these angels... Uh, once again, singing a great song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the, full, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And in this mighty presence, you get the, the shaking of the room, uh, you get a bunch of smoke, you have this very, very visual, experiential um, presence of God. And in this uh, case, in Ezekiel's calling, that, that same mighty presence that makes the earth shake is is there with him. And there are certainly some echoes here, as we saw in chapter 1 as well, of what happens in Isaiah 6, 
or exam or for example also in the throne room scene that we see in the book of revelation we have echoes of yeah. of that here again this the earthquake uh the loud voice again he said the living creatures the cherubim that that we have here show up again and even this this song you know blessed be the glory of the lord from its place has the the echo of of the sanctus there in in Isaiah chapter six the 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 glory of the Lord in, that fills the earth, which I, I think you know just recalling a little bit of the conversations I've had about the earlier chapters in Ezekiel is an important thing for Ezekiel and the exiles, having left their homeland, left behind the temple where the Lord dwells in His glory. What of the exiles has the Lord abandoned them? And so again, you know, I think just here at this. A bit of a transitional moment for Ezekiel, a reminder of the glory of the Lord and its place. You know, the question of where is the glory of the Lord? How is he going to be present with his people in exile? What's he going to do from them for them there? It's a pretty key question that Ezekiel is going to deal with. And this reminder here in the middle of Ezekiel's call, again, I think is an important point for the book as a whole and for what Ezekiel and the people are going to go through in this book. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess I didn't even think about that before you mentioned it, but that that's a huge, huge thing to always be reminded about with the Israelites in exile, because that's the whole deal with the temple. When the people needed to know where God was physically, when they needed to know where that weightiness, that, that power was, they knew that they could always go to the place on top of the Ark of the Covenant that same kind of place that Isaiah was taken to. And at this point in the history of the people of Israel, that no longer exists. And if, if that place no longer exists, I think it would be easy to understand that the people would question, well, where is God? And this, this uh, section of Ezekiel kind of shows Ezekiel and everybody who... Uh, would hear this uh, word from Ezekiel, that God's presence, his glory, is uh, wherever he wants it to be. And in this case, it is right there in Ezekiel's midst. Mm, that's right. And, and again, we're going to see how that glory of the Lord being present is going to be a matter of both judgment and salvation throughout the book of Ezekiel. So far, we've seen mostly judgment from Ezekiel, but that, that message of salvation is going to come. Now, the Spirit is the one active again in the ministry of Ezekiel already here. The Spirit lifts him up. He hears these sounds in verse 14. Again, the Spirit lifts him up and takes him away. It, it's reminiscent in my mind a little bit of what happens with uh, Philip the deacon in Acts chapter 8, where the the Spirit yeah. sends him on the to that Ethiopian eunuch. And so it's, I mean, it's almost like a similar thing where the Spirit is you know, very active in the ministry of Ezekiel. And, and then we get in verse 14, a, a, maybe a bit of a strange thing from Ezekiel. The ESV translates it like this. I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. In some of the commentaries that I've been reading on the book of Ezekiel, they many of them will note that unlike the prophet Jeremiah, Ezekiel generally does not give us much of his inner life. Jeremiah wears his feelings on his sleeve. Ezekiel generally doesn't. But here we have some words of emotion that Ezekiel was bitter and that in the heat of my spirit can also have the connotation of anger in the Hebrew. And well, Pastor Elmer, we were talking about this before we 
we came on air about the why of this. And to be fair, the text doesn't say, but let's let's talk a little bit about that. Why might Ezekiel be bitter and angry at this moment? Yeah, I think one one of the explanations could be that there there might be a a little uh, anger directed towards God for this uh, call that he has been given. This is something that I don't think Ezekiel was looking for from God, although Ezekiel is kind of born into a, a priestly family. I, I don't think that he is kind of looking for this prophetic office to uh, speak God's words of harsh judgment and, yes, salvation to the people. And I don't think he wants to go through those kind of action prophecies that he's going to have to do. Um, so one one explanation is that he he might be at least in part uh, hesitant to uh, stand in this office, a little bit hesitant to do his job, and causing him a little bit of bitterness and anger. Now, as we were talking before uh, we went on on air, I don't think that this rejection goes as far as. Uh, you might say like Jonah did. I mean, if you remember uh, Jonah, Jonah does not want to do the job he is called to do, period. He he hates the Ninevites. He can't stand anything about them. God calls Jonah to go preach to them, and Jonah absolutely rejects because he knows that if he preaches God's word to them, they're going to repent, God is going to be merciful, and Jonah doesn't want that. I don't think that that's what's happening here. But maybe a, a softer version of rejecting uh, that call, maybe more akin to being hesitant like Moses was initially in his call. Uh, when God called Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, Moses had a whole bunch of excuses uh, in order to try to get himself out of doing the job. Um, here, instead of making excuses if if we were going to go along this uh, avenue of discussion uh, Ezekiel's kind of refusal to go would be characterized by his sitting amongst the people for seven days just kind of sitting amongst them quietly um, and and not acting um, what what are your thoughts well you know I mean I, I've, I've read that and I'm I can on the one hand, you know, you, you look at, say, the prophet Moses, who at the very beginning when the Lord called him and gave him all these wonderful promises, Moses went back and forth with the Lord more than once of with 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 objections as to why he was not the man for the job. Or, and I mean, again, I, it doesn't seem that Ezekiel's going certainly as far as the, the prophet Jonah did and outright running away. The prophet Jeremiah, recall that he, he, upon receiving the Lord's call, said, I'm but a youth. So he had an objection. And so for a prophet to receive the Lord's call and then to have an objection is certainly not out of line. And, and if that's what's going on with the bitterness or the anger in Ezekiel, I, I'm, I'm not against it. I'm just, I guess I'm not sure, given the totality of Ezekiel's ministry and what we've seen from him so far, that that's necessarily the way the text is pointing us. It's possible. But, but I wonder, given the way Ezekiel's responded so far, particularly falling on his face in the presence of the Lord, you know, recognizing that, that he's in the Lord's presence right away 
and and the strengthening of the spirit that he's already received multiple times if perhaps there's a, a different explanation for the bitterness, which the, the Lutheran Study Bible notes in, in conjunction with, I think, what's coming from the commentary by uh, Dr. Horace Hummel, suggests that, that perhaps the emotions that Ezekiel's experiencing here have more to do with what the Lord would have experienced in terms of the bitterness, the anger toward the wrath over the sin, the rebellion of, of Israel. And I... I guess in in my own looking at the text and and thinking through what's there, again recognizing that the text does not say why he feels this way, my my move is is more toward that latter, toward assigning these emotions more toward a, a, a unity and what the with what the Lord is experiencing and giving him in response to the people of Israel. I I think that is a a very uh, probable. Uh, explanation, uh, because Ezekiel does seem to be a character who uh, is in unison with God a lot of the time. We're going to talk about this in this particular text, uh, where Ezekiel goes into a point in his life and in his ministry where he only speaks when God gives him words to speak. So you, you have this character who is a human being, who is a called prophet, but his identity is so wrapped up in that prophetic office that he he does only what God tells him to do. And I think that that case is strengthened uh, by what happens in the next text in Ezekiel 4, where kind of Ezekiel gets called to this really, really dramatic action prophecy that I'm sure you're going to love speaking with your guest on on Sharper Iron probably tomorrow, where Ezekiel is told to make a clay representation of Jerusalem and surround it with an iron pan and then lay on his side as... uh, as an action of the the city being sieged for for many, many days, one day for every year that the Israelites and the Judahites were um, rebellious. So I I like that explanation, because that would would tend to lead uh, the character of Ezekiel to being more of a one-on-one emotional resonance with the God whom he is representing to the people. Right. I mean, again, that that direction does seem to fit a little more with the evidence that we have elsewhere in the book. Now, maybe as we read the book of Ezekiel through, I'll, I'll be convinced a different way. But but from what we've seen from Ezekiel so far, that seems a little more likely. To be fair, in the next chapter in this action prophecy, the Lord is also going to tell Ezekiel to bake some bread over human dung. And Ezekiel does object there. He says, Lord, I'm not sure about that. And the Lord does give him a concession to bake it instead over cow dung. But we'll talk more about that tomorrow. So again, the the text isn't... I don't want to skip too far ahead. That's right. That's right. We'll, we'll save that for tomorrow's conversation. You know, the, Again, the text doesn't say precisely why he feels this way. He does feel this way. A reminder that Ezekiel is a man. He, he does have emotions, and, and that's not necessarily wrong, or we don't know precisely why. A couple of thoughts based on what else we see from Ezekiel here. The hand of the Lord is strong upon him, so regardless of, of which way these emotions are turning, the Lord still is directing Ezekiel 
according to his spirit. And there is this uh, one more detail here that we should pick up before we move on this matter of sitting there overwhelmed among them for seven days. I think you mentioned, you know, if, if we're to think Ezekiel here is uh, reluctant in the call, perhaps the seven days is a part of that. There's also a consideration, perhaps this may be a reference to the, the priestly nature of Ezekiel that, that in the Old Testament priests would have had a seven day ordination period. Perhaps that's what's going on there with the seven days. Yeah, I I think no matter how you interpret the text, you have good explanations for uh, this seven days, one of them being that the priestly seven days, the other one being, if it's a rejection, you have a nice parallel between Ezekiel rejecting his call for seven days, and then he ended up being mute for seven years, one year for every day that he refused. You, you see this uh, happen in, in different places in Scripture where these one-to-one-day-to-one-year one parallels are made. You're going to see it in chapter 4 with uh, the whole clay Jerusalem thing, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But you also see it, uh, for example, in Jesus' uh, call uh, in the wilderness, his temptation in the wilderness, where he spends 40 days in the wilderness, one day for every year that the Israelites uh, were rebellious in the wilderness. So if, if that's the case, there is a, a very uh, logical uh, reason for him to sit there overwhelmed for those seven days. When, again, you think about what he's been through so far, the vision that he saw and the words that he's heard the Lord speak in terms of the call, to be overwhelmed for seven days seems like a pretty normal response uh, from a, especially, you know, from, from a priest here in exile, that seems quite legitimate. The the seven days also, I mean, again, surely it, it was seven literal days, but that's a number of completion. And, and also I'm reminded of the friends of Job who come and, and sit with him for seven days in silence after he undergoes all of his troubles. So there's, there's good biblical precedent for this number, whether that's the priestly ordination or something else. He sits there for seven days, and then that's where the text picks up again. So we'll continue reading a little bit farther here. We're now in Ezekiel 3, verse 16. And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die— And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. That takes us through verse 21 of Ezekiel chapter 3. 
here in, in this text, we get that image for Ezekiel that's been mentioned several times and is, in fact, the title for this series about a watchman. So, Pastor Almer, we've got a couple minutes here before our break. Let's just start talking generally about that image of watchman. Why is being a watchman a fitting image for the task that Ezekiel is given? Yeah, so with watchmen, you have an image of a person who is designated as kind of a a defensive line uh, to protect God's people. Uh, in, a, in, in a military um, image, your your watchman would be somebody who would sit up on a on a high rampart in the the city to watch for enemies from all sides. And, and that kind of idea is what God is calling Ezekiel to do, that he is, he is there as God's representative to watch out for um, the enemy of God's people, which in this case would be wickedness, and to, to call it out. Um, this call to be a watchman is is one that kind of makes its way all through the book of Ezekiel, uh, especially once you get to Ezekiel 33. Mm-hmm. Now, this the particular call of Ezekiel in, in 3 is different than the call in 33, because this one here seems to be a speech directed not necessarily to be spoken to the people, but this is God... Uh, giving Ezekiel his job and telling him what he is going to do. So this is more instructions from God to Ezekiel than it is from Ezekiel to the people. So um, we've I got don't a, know if you wanted to, to comment there. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got a job description for Ezekiel. And, and the watchman, you know, the thing about the watchman is, is his one job is to cry out when something goes wrong. And, and that's, that's his job. How people respond to that that's not the watchman's responsibility. I mean, I think the watchman probably hopes that when he sits on the tower and says the enemy's coming, the soldiers in the city take up their defensive positions. But ultimately, that's not his job. His job is to watch and then to cry out when he sees that enemy. And I guess the, the reason that, that that strikes me important, and we'll talk more about the specifics on the other side of the break, but it, the reason that strikes me as important is because it it indicates what a successful watchman is. A successful watchman yes. may not may not have anything to do with whether or not the city is saved. The city may still be destroyed, but his success depends entirely upon whether or not he's faithful in crying out, "There's the enemy! You guys need to do something about that." Yeah, absolutely. And I think you really get that theme when you when you look for the concept of watchmen over the course of the prophets in the Old Testament, because God does speak about prophets as watchmen in various spots. He talks about it in Hosea, he talks about it in Isaiah, he talks about it in Jeremiah, and sometimes it speaks favorably towards uh, the watchmen, as in they're, they're set there to do the job and watch out for the people, and sometimes uh, the watchmen fail in their duty, and they don't do that job of calling out the danger which is sin and idolatry. And here, God is being very, very clear and being very, very specific about Ezekiel's job description and, and making sure 
that Ezekiel knows what he is going to do, and like you said, what it means for him to be successful at doing it. Right, and for Ezekiel, to be successful at being a watchman means to be faithful in being a watchman. And we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We are talking Ezekiel chapter 3 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 16th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 12 to 27 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. He serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were beginning to discuss how Ezekiel is given the job of watchman, one who is set to cry out when he sees wickedness. His job is to be faithful. And the Lord gives Ezekiel four case studies here in terms of what this is going to look like. Uh, Take us into the examples that the Lord gives to Ezekiel. Absolutely. So as a watchman, Ezekiel's call is to speak God's word to people. And in speaking that word to people, there are kind of two categories of people that Ezekiel is to speak these true words of God. The first of those categories of people are the wicked. The second group of those people are the righteous. Uh, Wicked people are those who in their pride, in their idolatry, have walked away from God's statutes and commands. And the righteous are those who who put their faith, love, and trust in God. Now, we did say that there's four case studies here, but I've only mentioned two of the groups of people. There's four case studies because Ezekiel's job is to speak to them everything— the, the difference is that sometimes the wicked listen, sometimes the wicked don't listen, sometimes the righteous listen, and sometimes the righteous don't listen. Well, and, and so there's a couple of things here, Pastor Ulmer, that I want to point out before we talk about which which case we're talking about. One thing is the way that you define the wicked and the righteous, I think, is really important. Because I think when we hear the words wicked and righteous, we tend to think first and foremost about a person's actions. And, and the way that you defined it is not based so much on their actions, though the actions are, it's not like they're unimportant. But, but the real difference between the wicked and the righteous is the fear, love, and trust in God above all things, to pick up the yeah. language from the catechism. And so the way that you've defined that for us, I think we need to constantly keep that in our minds so that we don't just make wicked versus righteous being a, a matter of following the rules or not. This is a matter of, do you trust in the Lord as your Savior or not? Okay, so that, that I think is a key distinction that, that you've drawn for us. I just want to draw attention to that before we before we go too far. Now, there there are two case yeah, studies. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah, without sounding too too much like James, the, the 
actions, the the good or bad actions, they they come. Those actions come from what the person believes. Right. The righteous do righteous things because they put their faith, love, and trust in God. Right. The wicked do wicked deeds because they do not put their faith, love, and trust in God. Uh, what comes out of people uh, is is directly related to where the person's faith is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so remembering, keeping that in mind is going to be a really important thing for us as we see these terms show up again in the book of Ezekiel more than once, this wicked and righteous. We need to keep that in mind. So there's two cases that are directed toward the wicked. There's two that are directed toward the righteous. And and I think the main difference between you know it, those cases is, is not so much, it's not necessarily whether they turn or not, because there's some variation there. But the real difference in this case is whether or not Ezekiel says anything, whether or not he's that faithful watchman. So take us into the the cases, those four cases that the Lord gives. Yeah, so case number one is if if God gives Ezekiel to speak his word to the wicked, you shall surely die. Ezekiel uh, would then not give the warning. So that's case number one. So if Ezekiel doesn't speak God's word to the wicked person, uh, obviously, since the wicked person has not heard the condemnation of God, he has no reason to be afraid and no reason to repent. Because he has not repented, that wicked person will continue in their wicked ways, will continue in their lack of faith, their lack of trust in God for salvation, and because of that, the wicked person would die. In this case, if it is given to Ezekiel to speak, you shall surely die, and he doesn't, then that person's life, God is going to require at Ezekiel's hand. So as a watchman, God is making Ezekiel responsible for uh, not speaking God's word where if he does not speak um, and people die, that is Ezekiel's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference in case two is this time Ezekiel does speak the word of God. What's the? How does that change the result? Yeah. So if he does speak the word of God, if Ezekiel is, I'm going to use this word very specifically here, if Ezekiel is faithful to his call, and speaks God's word, and the wicked person does not turn uh, away from his uh, unrighteousness, if he continues in his wickedness even though Ezekiel warns him, uh, the wicked person is still going to die, but then uh, Ezekiel is no longer held responsible for that person's idolatry. All right, so we've got two cases for the wicked, and the difference is whether or not Ezekiel speaks. Again, we, we're looking for that second one. That's the one that the Lord is driving Ezekiel toward. Be faithful. Speak the word to the wicked. He needs to hear it. The second two cases deal with the righteous person, and these are a little bit more involved in terms of the example the Lord gives, although both of them have to do with whether or not Ezekiel warns him or not. Help us into those last two examples. Yeah, so for the righteous person, you you have this scenario where you have a righteous person who who falls from his righteousness, who commits some uh, iniquity, who commits sin while being a member of the, the covenant community. And when he does this, 
it's Ezekiel's job as watchman to call out the righteous person. But if Ezekiel does not do this, and because Ezekiel does not speak God's word, that righteous person goes from being a part of the community to becoming a wicked person, um, because he was not warned, that person's death will be on Ezekiel's hands. And then the last case, the righteous person warned and he actually listens. And that's the, I mean, this last case is perhaps the, the most different. And I think one that provides quite a bit of hope in the midst of some rather, what may seem like a hopeless call that Ezekiel's been given. This last case, I think, provides a little bit of hope as to what Ezekiel might experience. Take us into that fourth one. Yeah, so in the fourth example, you have a, a righteous person, a person of the faith community who believes, trusts in God for his salvation. And Ezekiel does his job of speaking God's word to him to warn him about the, the perils and pitfalls of sin. And when the righteous person hears that word, you can almost think that he is glad that he has heard the word of the Lord, he takes it to heart, he believes God's word, and he does not sin. Hmm. Uh, in that case, both the righteous person remains faithful and righteous, and Ezekiel remains faithful in his call. Therefore, both of them end up living. Hmm. All right, so let's let's. There's the four cases. You've got the wicked person who is never told that he is wicked. He dies in his sin and the prophet is responsible because he didn't proclaim. You've got the wicked person who was told he's wicked, doesn't repent, he dies in his sin, but the prophet has been faithful. You've got the righteous person who's turned away from righteousness and dies in that unrighteousness. He was never warned, and so both prophet and the now unrighteous person, they die in their sin. And then the final case, you've got the righteous person who is warned, he stays in the righteousness that God gives through faith, and both the righteous and the prophet have been faithful. They live. So we got four cases here, Pastor Ulmer. I, mean, I think they're they're fairly simple to understand. In terms of some of the theology and application that we should get out of this, what's what's there for us? Yeah, I, I think there's at least two major theological considerations. Uh, to understand in this specific call of Ezekiel as it relates to sin. Number one, the one who the one who is ultimately speaking the words you shall surely die because of your sin is God. Ezekiel is the mouthpiece for God. The the prophet is the mouthpiece for God. I will go so far as saying the the pastor, your pastor, is the one who is the mouthpiece for God, but the one who is saying uh, your unrighteous deeds are sin is God. Hmm. So, as a parish pastor, it's always a, it's always a, a. I don't know if you agree with me or not. It's a, always a touchy subject, being very, very blunt about real sins that people in your worship community are going through, because sometimes it can feel like, 
well, why are you picking on me? Or why are you calling out that specific sin that I'm going through? Or, Pastor, who are you to speak these words to me? How dare you? Especially when we are in a time and in a, at least in our context in the United States, where a lot of sin that God says is wicked has become uh, socially and politically um, not popular to call sin. And we have to understand as people that when when pastors and prophets, they speak these words, you shall surely die, it's not the pastor's word. Well, hopefully it's not the pastor's word. Hopefully it's not the prophet's word. Hopefully it is rooted in Scripture. Hopefully it's rooted in God's word speaking to his people that we are living in ways that are opposed to his will. And this is what... Um, ends up being the the word that brings life in the church because when we confess our sins we are simply agreeing with that diagnosis that comes from God through the preacher. Well so I think uh, there's a couple of things if I can try to to summarize some of that that when this uh, when I hear this text as a pastor it impresses a couple of things upon me. One, when I open my mouth to speak it needs to be whatever the Lord has spoken. Nothing less, nothing more. That's that's part of the faithfulness, that, that when I speak, it needs to be God's words that I speak. And I think that's going to bear itself out as we continue the text in a little bit as to what happens with Ezekiel's own speech and when he's allowed to speak and when he's not allowed to speak. That's that's one thing for a, for a pastor, that his faithfulness is found in speaking the words of the Lord. If you're going to say, thus says the Lord, you better make sure it's what the Lord actually says. And then two, the other absolutely, <laughs> the other. I didn't think I was going to get anything less than an amen from you there, Pastor Elmer. The, <laughs> the the other aspect of the faithfulness of the pastor is not only that he speaks nothing but the word of the Lord, but that he actually speaks it. He needs to say it. That's the watchman. He's got to cry out because if he doesn't cry out, I mean, that's the job of the watchman is to do the crying. And so if if the pastor isn't that voice doing the crying, that's the the faithful. That's not being faithful, and that's that's for the pastor. Now, for the the other part, I think you're bringing out there is in terms of well, what about the hearer then? Well, when you hear yeah. your pastor speaking the word of the Lord, you should understand that's not his own pious opinion or just unpious opinion. That's the word of the Lord that he's speaking, and that goes back to I mean, this was in the previous text that Ezekiel was reminded by the Lord, you know, the reason that Israel's not going to listen to Ezekiel is because they don't want to listen to the Lord. That That's the yeah. the takeaway for the hearer, is that when, you're, when your pastor preaches the word of the Lord, you should understand that that's not him speaking to you. That's the word of the Lord. That's God speaking to you. And you need to listen to that. Because if you don't listen to that, it's not the pastor you're rejecting, but it's God you're rejecting. And well, you can see how that turns out here. Now, Pastor Elmer, I think you said yeah, there were that, there were two things. Yeah, that leads into the second very important part, which is the response to that. When when the Christian person realizes that that word being spoken is God's word, kind of backed up from Scripture, there is one response that leads to life, and that response is repentance. Um Repenting, turning away from that sin, is the way to life. It's not rejecting God's Word. It's not self-justification that saves. 
It's understanding that the watchman has spoken a, a right word from God, that that, that word is true about uh, me or you, and then going to God, asking him for mercy, asking him for patience and forbearance uh, for the sake of Christ to to get that sin removed as far as the East is from the West. That, that's why I find that last example here so hopeful in the midst of what we've read in Ezekiel so far. I mean, over and over again in the previous text particularly, the Lord told Ezekiel, you're going to speak to a rebellious house and they're not going to listen to you. Thanks, Lord, for sending me there. But but in this fourth example, there is there is hope. There are people who will heed the watchman's cry, they will believe, they will listen. And so it's not like Ezekiel is, is going into a hopeless call. There is hope because wherever the, Lord of the, wherever the word of the Lord is preached, that word is living and active to do what he intends. It, it struck me as we were talking about the fact that there's four examples, three of which end in a person you know, not repenting and so dying, and then the final one ending in faith and life, it matches up, not perfectly, because, but it's, it's close, at least in terms of, it's, it's the same in percentages as Jesus' parable of the sower, where there are, yeah. there are three groups who, now the difference is in, in the parable of the sower, all the groups do have the word preached to them. That's not the case here, but the percentage is the same. That, that there are, you know, three groups that do not end up in faith and there is one that does. And so even when the prophet or the preacher, the pastor today, or the Christian is sent with the word of God to proclaim, when he's faithful, there's still, oh man, it just doesn't, doesn't seem like anything successful. That's not the point. The point is be faithful. And the Lord, he will provide a harvest. It may not happen when or where you or I think it should, but the Lord will provide a harvest. And you do see that here in Ezekiel 3. Absolutely, and it just reiterates kind of both of those examples of the parable of the sower and this call of Ezekiel, that that path of righteousness is very narrow. It's very narrow, but it's also very simple. We as we as God's people, we as God's pastors, both you and, and I, we are called to one task and one task only, that is to hear his word and to be faithful in believing and executing it. All right, so we need to pick up the rest of our text. Ezekiel, again, has given, been given his call to be a watchman. He is to be faithful. And now the Lord continues, the text continues in Ezekiel 3.22. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there. And he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley. And behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kabar Canal. And I fell on my face. But the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and he spoke with me and said to me, Go, shut yourself within your house, and you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them, so that you cannot go out among the people. And I will make your tongue cling to the roof of your mouth, so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. He who will hear, let him hear, and he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Ezekiel 3, verses 22 through 27. Pastor Elmer, here we, we get some repeated themes in the book of Ezekiel where, you know, you have the glory of the Lord there again, the prophet falls on his face, the spirit lifts him up again. 
now we get into some more of the strange things that Ezekiel is given to do. And here, well, if I can say it like this, Ezekiel is going to be the pastor of a house church. That may seem like a strange way to, to say it, but he's going to do his ministry from his house. And and it sounds like nowhere else. So we've got here about yep. eight minutes to talk about what Ezekiel is given to do and some of the implications. Let's let's start. Where do you want to start, Pastor Elmer? Yeah, so here you have, as we had mentioned before, kind of one of these physical uh, example prophecies where in the power of the Spirit, in the glory of the Lord, he is called to do his job. And in doing his job, which is proclaiming God's Word to his people, God puts some kind of strange restrictions on him that he is going to be bound up in his house. And even that wouldn't be a problem because, well, people who were rebellious could come and listen to Ezekiel if they wanted to. But in this case, it also seems as if God is going to uh, make Ezekiel's mouth not open unless uh, God wishes it to happen. So you're going to have a guy who's, who's kind of bound up in his house and is mute for a time, and yet he is supposed to be calling people uh, to repentance. Now, with this said, um, I, I think that there's probably a really, really good reason for this, and it's kind of a unique aspect of Ezekiel. Because of this binding up in the house, and because of this binding of Ezekiel's tongue, you have a prophet and a character here who, when he speaks, it will be as it is said in verse 27. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them. So Ezekiel is kind of this prophet, this character who, when he speaks, the only time he speaks is when he opens his mouth and speaks the word of God to the people he is called to serve. On the one hand, you know, it, this seems like a really strange thing for the Lord to give Ezekiel at the very beginning of his ministry. I mean, he's just spent almost two whole chapters telling Ezekiel, you need to be a watchman. You need to proclaim to people whatever I tell you to say. And now I'm going to make you so you can't talk. That that seems a little counterintuitive until you get, as you pointed out so well, and I think this is huge, that it's not that Ezekiel doesn't get to talk at all. It's only that Ezekiel gets to talk only when it's the Lord's word. And that's it. Ezekiel doesn't speak anything. I mean, literally, he doesn't say anything unless it is the word of the Lord. So, you know, Ezekiel, it's not like, you know, you, you can go to your pastor today and if you want to talk to him about the football game from Sunday, or if you want to talk to him about what's going on in the school district, or you want to get whatever his opinion might be on whatever is going on in your town, you can go and talk to him about those things. But you couldn't do that with Ezekiel. If you want to go to Ezekiel and he's going to talk to you, the only thing that he's ever going to say to you, at least until the fall of Jerusalem, it's going to change when Jerusalem falls later in the book. But up, up to then, the only thing Ezekiel can tell you is whatever the Lord has spoken, which I mean may sound, well, that's kind of weird, but it's, I think it's a fantastic point. And it certainly has a lot to say with what we were saying earlier about the idea of being faithful as a pastor, as a watchman. 
when you're going to open your mouth and say, thus says the Lord, it better be what the Lord says. And that's, I mean, Ezekiel fulfills that quite literally. And I, I think there's, he, he go ahead, does. Pastor Elmer. Well, he does fulfill it quite literally in his body. And then that last kind of word there, he will, who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse. Like, for Ezekiel and for God in this moment, it isn't it isn't about anything but faithfulness. Speak God's word and let the chips fall where they may. Um, if if people hear, great. If people don't hear, this is one of those very strange cases, uh, and it happens otherwhere in other places in Scripture where God is so merciful that He allows Himself to be rejected. And, and you get this flavor right here at the end of Ezekiel's call in Ezekiel 3. And I, it, it's always something that I struggle with as a Christian, as a pastor, that we have a God who, who is so merciful that he, he gives us what we want, even if it's rejecting him, uh, which ultimately will end up in death for us. Mm-hmm. It, it's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Well, I think you do see here in this text how mind-blowing unbelief is. Because with, with Ezekiel, yeah. unlike, say, you know Jeremiah or Isaiah, you know at this point in Ezekiel's ministry, anytime he opens his mouth, he is going to speak the Word of God to you. You know that. He can't do anything but that. And, and yet, people didn't believe him. The only response to anything Ezekiel says at this moment is amen, because it's the word of God, and yet people don't. I mean, I think you see the the irrationality of unbelief from that, that there will be people who refuse to hear when they, they have the assurance of the Lord himself that whatever the prophet speaks for these next seven years is going to be his own word. Oh man, there's there's so much there, Pastor Alman. A lot of implications. We've got about two minutes on the morning, and and I wanna I wanna hear from you as as we wrap things up. Particularly with all that we've talked about in this text, how does how does this text point us to Christ? How do we see our Savior Jesus in all of this? Yeah. So in in this text, we have a a prophet who is kind of a strange figure and has a strange but specific call to speak God's word to his people. And we, as, as God's people today, we also have a prophet who just uh, isn't merely a prophet, but is also God, God's word, um, Jesus Christ, that when we have the word of God become flesh, who has uh, bound ourselves to him through his death and resurrection, that when he speaks his words to us, we as his people, we hear and we listen. And when we are called out for our unrighteousness, we repent. That in everything that we do and are, we hear God's word, Jesus Christ, and and put our faith in him alone. I think that in these days that we are living in as God's people, uh, a call to faithfulness is always important to hear. And may the only thing, may the only word that come from uh, my mouth and your mouth and the mouth of the Church be that Jesus Christ is Lord to the salvation of humanity. Pastor Matt Ulmer is pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. 
helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 12 to 27. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a pleasure. Talk to you later. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.